afternoon, universe, and welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your Monday morning, Monday morning, Monday afternoon weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold bad opinions of the enemy and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's word. We're doing this by taking a strong, hard look at... Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, a classic text within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod for re-speaking, same saying, restating, confessing, echoing back to God what God has said, believing firmly that when God puts things in his word, he does it with the belief that we can speak it back to him, that this, this truth is so real, it is so tangible, that it doesn't just go into us and rattle around as interpretation and opinion, but in fact changes us. It renews the mind so that St. Paul can exhort you, Christian, hey, Christian, Hunger for the truth. Watch your life and your doctrine closely because the time is coming when people are not going to put up with this sound teaching, this healthy truth. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather together teachers to teach what their itching ears want to hear. But you, you Christian, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught and so encourage others. That is what we're trying to do here. And to help us with this today, we got regular guests. See, Pastor Jeffrey Reese, Senior Pastor of Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington, and Pastor Matthew Gunia, Pastor at Ascension Lutheran Church in Niles, Illinois. We're going to be picking up again Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, the section dealing with Oh, I just lost the title. Theology as Doctrine, which is, duh, right? Obviously. No, no, no. The point here is is the, the substantial, uh, enduring reality of the truth. We'll be talking about that pages 53 and 54, primarily in Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1. Let's go ahead and say hello to the brothers. Oh, good, good afternoon, gentlemen. How are things? Uh, I guess it's probably still morning on the West Coast, isn't it? How are things for you guys? Because you're still in the playoffs, so I'm doing great. <laughs> You're on St. Louis radio, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're I, talk- that makes it sweeter that I get to say that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's terrible. And then I just talked over Jeff. What'd you say, Jeff? I said it's actually afternoon here. It's 12.05. 12.05. Just, just barely. Didn't fall off the mm-hmm. uh, uh, the continent yet. So, nope. is it is it raining in the Northwest yet? Well, I'm told Tacoma sunny. I'm actually in, in Kennewick, uh, going to have a pastor's conference this week, uh, which is in southeastern Washington. Right on. Okay, cool. Uh, topic, you know what the topic is for the conference yet? Uh, it's got to do with missions and, and uh, uh, engaging the culture and such. Right on. Sounds like a blast, yeah. man. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> a blast. All right. So uh, we, we're, we spent quite a few weeks going through what Dr. Pieper called subjective theology, which he doesn't mean like not truth or interpretation. What he meant by that was sort of the experience of theology, particularly as applied to the pastoral office, that you have these expectations that need to be put upon men who are called to the pastoral office. And then he shifted into this other idea, objective the, uh, theology, which is a lot closer to what we think of when we when we use the term object, objective and subjective. So the idea that that the theology as aptitude that a pastor has to experience or demonstrate really comes back down to, at the end of the day, the objective theology, which is not aptitude at all, is what God has spoken. And so I guess the idea of dogma or doctrine, that we can take these things and say these things again, really the the, the, the linchpin of what cross-defense has been about and why we're going through Peeper's Christian Dogmatics in the first place is our devotion to this idea. But that's kind of what he's now picked up on, particularly in this section, section 10 of 
Volume 1. So as you guys prepared for today, any thoughts beyond that that you felt the context brought to bear on this or anything else that we need to know heading into the text? Well, you know, it, everything that he writes here in the section we're covering would seem like it would be obvious, like it goes without saying. And yet, as the, you quoted from, uh, I believe, Second Timothy a while ago, uh, itching ears are out there. And, uh, and there are plenty of uh, so-called prophetic mouths who are willing to satisfy those itching ears. Um, we, we really are prone to going back to what the human heart wants to say. What I find interesting is that it sounds like he's arguing against what we would call liberalism today. You know, mm-hmm. this is happening 100 years ago, right? Back when they were conservatives, when we were a Bible-believing country and all right. that kind of stuff. And he refers to them as the moderns or the modernists, yeah. But they've been around a long time. I mean, there's nothing particularly mm-hmm. new, right? And so no, today I mean, they call themselves postmodernists, but n- yeah. it didn't change much. You can see this in Gnosticism. I mean, you can see this all the way back to the first century, and really even before, if you want to look at it, uh, you know, at, at uh, you know Hebrew theology in the Old Testament and so forth. So what do you mean by that, both Gnosticism and Hebrew theology? I mean, Gnosticism, you're talking about the, the higher higher levels of truth that are all in the spiritual realm, and so, what, the material doesn't matter? Uh, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's basically a humanist philosophy. It's, it's something that was concocted from within the human heart and the human understanding of the world, apart from uh, God's revealed will and, and God's revealed creation in the Word. Um, and then if you go back to uh, the Old Testament, I mean, you just look at the prophets that Jeremiah was condemning, uh, the, those who are always uh, proclaiming peace. And, uh, you know, he's the one that says, well, okay, any prophet that pro- proclaims peace, he, he's got to be backed up by the that promise actually coming true. Um, and that promise, of course, never does come true. Right, right. At least not in the way that they're thinking. Gunia, got a thought? Well, we would think, look at this and say, well, duh, as uh, you, you kind of said, that what is Christian theology? Well, it comes from the Bible and from what God says. But back in Peeper's day, today, all throughout church history, people have always been trying to add their own ideas or the world's opinion to what Scripture says and trying to harmonize those, and it never works. It's always and only what the Word of God says, and we as Christians have to be ruthless about comparing ideas to God's Word. Now I find it I find it ironic that somebody is going to complain about people adding to God's word and God's opinions and then say go Cubs because we all know <laughs> that God does not root for the Cubs right so I, I, I don't know Pastor Cunha I don't know so okay, but, you're just playing to your St Louis audience right what? now what <laughs> never no way so picking up then we're going to read the last full paragraph on page 52 I'll go ahead and read that here which we kind of touched on this last time but I want to make sure we cover it entirely so people goes on. He says, it follows that Christian theology is not made up of the variable notions and opinions of men. I I just, I like that he uses the word variable because even my own opinions, I mean, they tend to change from day to day. Uh, Instead, Christian theology is the immutable, that means unbreakable, divine from God, truth, or God's own doctrine, the doctrina divina, you know, truth from God. It has this quality because of the source from which it is drawn. According to the witness of Christ and his apostles and its own self attestation in the hearts of the Christians. Holy Scripture is God's infallible word, and therefore the doctrine taken from the Scripture is not, quote, after the tradition of men, as Colossians 2 warns us against doing, right? Not man's doctrine, but God's own doctrine. Quote, the doctrine of God our Savior, Titus 2. And in God's church, nothing but God's own doctrine may be preached and heard. 
the door of the church is closed to all doctrines devised by men. Now, we got got two kind of things there. Those last two sentences make me think of one, the idea that in God's church, nothing but God's own doctrine may be preached and heard. There is a, a the, the tendency today to say, well, how can we really know what the Bible means? It, 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 you know, it doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. You know, who are we to say what God really thinks? So you got kind of that thing going on. But then the the statement, the door of the church is closed to all doctrines devised by men. It's like, well, well, Dr. Peeper, are you watching? Because it sure doesn't look so. I see all sorts of churches with doctrines devised by men being taught in their midst. So how, how can you say the door of the church is closed to this? What do you mean? So either one of those questions, guys, you want to jump in on? Well, yeah, there are several churches that will allow uh, different doctrines into their church, but they don't do so rightly. They're, they're in violation of their uh, ordination vows by allowing the opinions of the world to try to meld in with the, the doctrine of the church, or by uh, allowing the pastor's own personality or his own opinions to shape what the church is. Uh, it's, although it happens, it's describing a reality, and I'm prescribing a reality that, that should be in existence, in a true church, in a church that is faithful, they will continually compare their opinions against what Holy Scripture says. They will not allow in uh, the ideas of the world, the teachings of the world, the pastor's own teachings, the teachings of uh, various powerful people within the, the congregation. So although we see it happening all the time, it doesn't happen rightly so, and these are the very things that people warns against. Reese. Yeah, well, I can't say it any better than Pastor Gunia just said it, but uh, this is precisely what Paul is warning Timothy against in the second letter when he says, you know, preach the word in season and out of season and, and warns him about the itching ears who are going to, you know, want to find for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And let's face it, we're all guilty of that. And let's also remember that doctrine leads to practice as well. And I'm thinking of Second John when there's one powerful person in the church to whom John writes who is not allowing the church to host missionaries, um, afraid that his own power base is going to be crumbled. So what does that do? It inhibits the message of the church, inhibits the spread of God's Word. It's not like teaching just happens in a vacuum and they're just words and we keep them in our, our heads or in our hearts or something, but the words and the teaching manifest themselves in our actions, our actions toward one another, our actions toward the world. It can be very dangerous when you begin allowing false doctrines into the church. It should be pure. Right, because what what is it? Uh, lex arende, lex credendi. As you pray, so will you believe, and then and in reverse, as you believe, so you will pray. So you have the choice of either really proving that you believe what you're saying by doing it, right? By acting according to it. You don't have to do it all, but you act according to it. Or the threat, if you if you act differently than you say you believe, it won't be too long until you actually believe that as well. It'll, it'll decay the truth that you're claiming to hold on to. Now, moving on then into the, into the the text proper we want to look at. So he goes on and says, this truth needs to be stressed in view. What's the truth that needs to be stressed in view of? That all Christian teaching must come from Scripture, must be stressed in view of the contrary claims of modern theology, what, what today I guess we would normally call liberalism, or, or it's postmodern theology is basically doing the same thing, but he calls them the moderns. The moderns have nothing to offer but human doctrine. How, how interesting, how cruel, how insulting of him. Doesn't he understand their context? Uh, refusing to accept Scripture as the Word of God, they have found it theologically unreliable. That is, they think the Scriptures aren't going to work good enough, right? 
so instead they substitute for it as the source of doctrine the human heart right the, the human mind the human understanding science reason whatever you want to call it interesting phrase here i don't understand this one as well maybe you guys know a little bit more about it he calls this this doctrine of the human heart the theological ego I think this is just the way the moderns were talking, and so he's just using their own language, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, and they insist that the church accept the results of their theological cogitations as the true theology. I love that, too. And this this is something that is very, very real when you look at... Uh, not snarky, that's the wrong word. When you look at sort of light false teaching in the church, it kind of comes in as like, look, we kind of need to pay attention to all these things over here. Please pay attention to that. But the moment you give it a foothold, it kind of turns around and says, you must do it this way. False teaching doesn't just kind of sit there and float. It becomes insistent on its own way. And and that's kind of what he's getting at here. Uh, They are virtually demanding that theology be removed from the realm of the objective divine truth in into the sphere of subjective human opinion. Now, that's what we were talking about earlier. Now, now subjective is being used the way we're used to hearing it, right? That, that the, the modern way, the liberal way, the postmodern way, the, the human heart way, which is Jeff, you know, Dr. Pastor Reese, you pointed out, you know, the, the way of uh, the old false prophets, the way of the Gnostics in early Christianity, it is always to insist that you can't actually know the truth. You have to let it be sort of your opinion. And by doing that, now we have no truth at all. But then as soon as they do that, their opinion matters more. And you must do it that way because the false teacher has no qualms about uh, pushing pushing what they think, regardless of charity or, or whatnot. So I don't know. That's a lot there with me talking. So when do you guys want to jump back in again? Well, going back up to your uh, referencing the theological ego, I, I don't know if this was a term that was used in modernist theology or not, but, I mean, what's the definition of ego, basically, but uh, your level of self-importance? Hmm. And I, I, I think that says all, he's, he's trying to talk about how they're, they're, in, they're basically trying to insert human-concocted theology as being more important than the Word of God. You know, mo- most of folks that do this that I've talked to and that I've argued with Aren't, aren't saying, will say they're not trying to supersede, they're not rejecting the Word of God. They're just, they're trying to claim that the Holy Spirit will work apart from the Word of God, uh, which, of course, Luther condemns in the Small Called Articles pretty heavily against enthusiasm. Um, they're trying to talk about the human heart or the, or the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit working through the human heart aside uh, you know, alongside the Word of God, I think is what they're trying to argue. But they don't realize what they're essentially doing is rejecting the Word of God, and they're focusing more on this human-centered theology that they claim is Holy Spirit-led or Holy Spirit-inspired, um, instead of focusing on where we are promised God speaks to us. And you, you just can't get away from the fact that there's an, there's an ego behind that. There, there's a human ego behind that. I think that Pieper hits the bullseye when he says that uh, people refuse to accept Scripture and the Word of God as theologically reliable. Hmm. And that sounds pretty cruel and pretty harsh, but that's exactly Hmm. what's going on there. Um, We can't trust what God's Word plainly says. There's got to be more to it, or he really can't mean that. And if you look at the various theology, and it's cloaked in nice flowery language or or in the veneer of good works and love, that's what it all comes down to. We really can't trust 
that God's Word is what he says it is, that Jesus is who he says he is. And that's very, very harmful. Or at the very least, it, God's Word is insufficient for the task uh, that we have today. You know, that's what we, we will hear argued many times is, well, you know, we need to do the mission of the Church, which is, you know, will always be framed as the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We need to do that. And, you know, in today's culture, it's just so different than it was 500 years ago. Uh, and so what we've done with God's Word or, or what God's Word is doing isn't sufficient. So we need to we need to see where the Holy Spirit is working um, apart from God's Word, and we need to make use of that. Yeah, it's, it's like the, the Scriptures are great, guys, but it's not going to get the job done. So l- let me mm-hmm. show you how to get the job done. You need this, that, and the other thing. And that's, that's basically what the rest of the paragraph is going to say. Because of the insistent, 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 claims of the modern theologians that the church is well served by this human theology that is and because of this this claim that for church to really be good today we need more than just what the scriptures say we in response shall have to insist that what the church needs is god's theology and that the theology the doctrine drawn by the theologian from scripture Doctrina e Scriptura Sacra Hausta, I think that's pronounced quite poorly, but it's, it's there, a divine doctrine, Doctrina Divina, and this not merely in the sense that it tells of God and of divine things, but particularly in the sense that such doctrine, in contrast to all human doctrines, views, and judgments, is God's own doctrine, view, and judgment, right? So it's not just that this is a divine thing because it's about God, it's divine because it's from God. It's what God is saying. And so if you think we can add to what God is saying in such a way to make it more effective, it, it de facto, right? You, you're basically saying, I don't believe it's God. I don't believe God's the one doing this because otherwise, I mean, if you did, you wouldn't think you needed to add to it, right? You would think, but yeah. Oh, go ahead, Pastor Gunya. No, I was laughing. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm done. I don't have anything to say. I'm just laughing at the joke. Yeah, it, well, again, this is sort of, this is all just kind of duh, and yet you realize, and you kind of shake your head when you realize it, that people, it's really good that people wrote this. We need to hear this. We need to be reminded of this. Um, we, and, and it's becoming more difficult to do this, and, and I think what people could never have imagined uh, is, is what we're facing today, where uh, the doctrine of God, the scriptures have been so watered down that you can get away with just about anything that is even directly uh, condemned in scripture and try to baptize it as Christian. You know, the whole homosexual agenda, the transgenderism, uh, and, and not even just in that area, but even in the in the heterosexual realm of, uh, of heterosexual sin, the people uh, uh, engaging in sexual activity apart from marriage and, and still considering themselves part of the Christian church and that that's just okay, it's just the way the culture is today and it's no big deal. Um, all of those things stem from this very problem that people are addressing. I mean, the thing is, nothing's really changed. It, it, as, little, as much as it changes, it, it always stays the same. And that means we need the same answer. We'll be right back. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. 
which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m., we bring you Orazio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Orazio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. This week on Issues Etc., we'll continue our series responding to Roman Catholic proof texts, talking with Professor Stephen Parks about 2 Timothy 2 in apostolic succession. We'll discuss the Reformation and John Calvin with Dr. Cameron McKenzie, and we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Hezekiah praying in 2 Kings. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Human trafficking is modern-day slavery and it happens in our own communities. Victims can be any gender, age, or race. Join the Department of Homeland Security's Blue Campaign to learn how to recognize and report this heinous crime. Visit our website at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. That's www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. Your second look could be their second chance. Given. It's a word we seem to hear less in our world today. We believe the Word of God as it teaches Christ is given for you. That's what we at KFUO bring you. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Find the Give Now button at kfuo.org to support this mission. kfuo.org or call 1-800-844-0524 to make your gift today. said enough and this is this is the challenging thing it's really hard to let this sink in because our flesh is never going to accept it we're, we're always going to fall back into this trap right but it's this idea again that somehow yes jesus died for me yes jesus died for the world yes god's in control of his church but if i don't or if we don't dot 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 then dot, 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 it won't work like it's supposed to. And so we need to dot, 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 you fill in the blank. And it really doesn't matter what you decide to put into that blank. I mean, it could be giving out, you know, marshmallows. It can be building a bigger building. It can be trying to translate it in just the proper and right way so that it'll really, really work, right? All of this is actually a distrust of the Spirit's ability to work through the simplicity of what Scripture says, that what is the perspicuity, the, the, the clarity of what Scripture says, and to put in its place just more of ourselves. This is a way of going at truth that is the opposite of what John the Baptist said, right? It, it's not, I must decrease so that he increases. It's, you know, he is only so much, so I must increase to increase him. I mean, it's just totally backwards. And if we approach mission this way, if we approach chaplaincy and sustaining the church this way, it really doesn't matter. We're putting ourselves in the place of the cross, and it's it's bound to lead to, to problems eventually. So before we move on to the next paragraph, guys, anything else you want to add into that? No. Oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Matt. I, I just, t- t- taking off of what you just said, um, it just occurs to me as I, I look back and I, I think about, you know, revivalism kind of came into to being in the 18th century. And in the last, you know, 200 years, I don't think the gospel has ever cost so much money or so much effort, you know, in the entire history of the Christian church. Mm. Uh, we, we don't, you know, everything has become so complicated. And every time you turn around, uh, you have this group or that group trying to come up with the newest program 
in order to share the gospel, in order to spread the, the good news of Jesus. And, and then a couple years later, that same group will come up with another program, because the last program was insufficient in this way or that way. Obviously it was, because we didn't achieve the goals that we had for it. Um, and yet, here all along, we have the pure Word of God. We have a God's people, the priests of all believers, who are out uh, doing their vocations, raising their families, working in their jobs, and so forth, uh, on the front lines uh, where, they, where the gospel, gospel can be shared. Um, and our job as pastors and the church's job is to develop and, and well, to develop and nurture a, an evangelical mindset among the people so they can just naturally do what they're given to do and let the Holy Spirit be the active agent there and, and not worry so much about concocting our own uh, ideas about how best to, to make the gospel work. Well, it's like, you know, naturally or supernaturally to believe what you say you believe. This is kind of the thing mm-hmm. that gets me about mission is like if if we really have to tell Cubs fans, you'd better cheer for the Cubs, you know, then then they're not Cubs fans. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so if Christians don't have something to believe and say or don't want to, then we as a church are, are in a really bad spot. And a, a trick or a hook or some like little tactic isn't what we need. What we need is repentance and forgiveness at that point. What we need is a real swift kick in the back end uh, to, to wake ourselves up a little bit on this matter. And yeah. Go ahead. I said, I think Jesus said something about re- preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Luke 24, but um, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, I mean that, that, that really is the idea. It, well, you're, uh, not, I lost what I was saying there too, but and so the, the, this idea, though, that we've got to come along with a program to make it work. Oh, because I don't want—I don't want to give the impression that somehow supporting mission is bad, because because it, it's not. Mission is really, really good and really, really necessary. But it's funny how little of what we talk about when we talk about mission these days has much to do with missionaries. Has much to do with keeping preachers for for Pete's sake in the field, preaching the gospel somewhere else, planting new churches by sending pastors to do so. Instead, like you said, it's like this industrial complex of, of recycling old ideas as new programs to try to trick everybody into doing more mission. I don't know. Again, I, I don't think you have to tell a fan that they ought to do something. I think they do it because mm-hmm. they're a fan. And I, I'm not. And don't get me wrong. We don't need a program saying, let's make fans for Jesus. It's not quite what I'm saying. But I do believe that the Word of God is true enough and trustworthy enough that it can convict you. And the result of that conviction is you're going to say it again because it's true, because it matters, because it's real. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you look at even research that's been done, and I, you know, research is worth what it's worth, but... Uh, Tom Rainier, who you know has written some stuff that I don't care for, but he he wrote a book a, a while back, uh, and the name escapes me. But he talked about this research that he and others had conducted, and the number one reason why an unchurched person would come into a church was because someone that they trusted invited them. Hmm. Uh, very very few people, if you look at the research, actually come into a church because of some sort of grand master campaign that the church launches. It's simply God's people out in their communities doing their vocations and inviting others to come and see. Well, mentioning somebody that they trusted, I have had a couple conversations recently with with individuals who are not Christians, and in both mm-hmm. cases, the reason that they're not in church is because they don't trust any Christians, <laughs> well, <laughs> like, like quite directly. There's, there's that problem, but see, you know, I've even had conversations with people who were not Christian, and if you 
you know, if you get the opportunity to really share what Christianity is all about and what the gospel really says, because they have this, one of the reasons they don't trust Christians is because of the public image that we receive mm-hmm. from many uh, televangelists and so forth. And then, of course, the way the media portrays us in movies and television and so forth. But when they actually get to talk to somebody, uh, and I'm not just tooting my own horn, but I've heard these stories from others, uh, somebody who really understands the gospel and shares it with them articulately in the way that the scripture uh, speaks of it, uh, they start to realize, wow, I've never met a, you know, I've never understood Christianity to be that way. And, and I'm not saying that they're instantly converted to Christianity, but they, they at least walk away with a very different view of what Christianity is. Right, right. And so there can be a, a, a way to build those trusting relationships. I, uh, I agree. And it comes from knowing what you believe and why you believe it in such a way then that you actually, I don't want to say you live it, that that's not the right thing at all, but that you're not denying it with the way that you live and that you're not denying it with the way that you speak, right? And that comes back to trusting, <laughs> trusting that Jesus is sufficient and that his word is complete because we're denying that we believe that when we think we've got to add things to it in order to make people join our church. If someone's going to join your church because they're giving away cupcakes, then they're joining cupcakes. They're not joining right. Christianity. Well, I think you can say it's got to do with the way you live it, because the way you live it is in repentant faith. Ah. Um, you're, you're, you're not trying to put on some sort of a perfect image uh, for everyone to see um, and behold and envy and then want to become part of. You're, you're living your life, you're making all kinds of mistakes, you're falling into sin, uh, and then you're repenting and you're trusting in Christ uh, to, to be your forgiveness, your mercy, and, and ultimately the source of your very life. Mm. Uh, that's different than, again, the image that a lot of non-Christians who've never been inside the church, or or if they have been, they've been in a very, very pietistic, legalistic uh, strain of the church, uh, you know, that's very different than what they've seen and experienced. Yeah, or they run into Christians who go to churches that don't preach grace, and as a right. result, those Christians are trying to justify themselves, and then they see the right. hypocrisy of that. I mean, again, mm-hmm. the one the one gentleman I was talking to, he was very clear his boss was a Christian, and his boss was basically dishonest in his working with with uh, both the people that he's selling stuff to and with his workers. And he's mm-hmm. like, so so the image is like, what, why? How can I believe that you believe any of this stuff when you think stealing's okay? and you're doing it in front of me and like trying to make me be a part of it right it just mm-hmm. it's just not going to work yeah gunia you know you said no and so we ignored yeah. you for for 10 minutes so you got I, something I to noticed, add? yeah yeah <laughs> well yeah we're, we're starting to get a little way from uh what, what people's writing here which is good all this is very good uh, stuff but uh, I, I like your analogy from before um you don't have to teach a cubs fan to cheer for the cubs once you understand the Cubs, once you've, like, you know, examined them, once you've been to Wrigley Field and tasted and saw what was good, <laughs> oh, um, you're just going to naturally start cheering for them, similar to uh, Christianity. Once you uh, receive the forgiveness of sins, once you taste the body and blood of Jesus, once you have that hope of eternal life and recognize that death is not the end for you, that you will live eternally with your Lord, who himself is risen from the dead, that's going to change you, and you're going to behave in certain ways. And no one has to necessarily instruct you, now you do this, now you say that, now you kneel like that, or whatever it may be. You're just going to naturally do it. Uh, so when it comes to uh, evangelism, when it comes to spreading the gospel, uh, you, as much as you understand of Jesus and what have you received from him, you will naturally share with other people. You, you'll live out the gospel. Now, I, I did want to say also that um, there's a direct correlation with what you can share about Jesus and what you know about Jesus. Yep. So 
part of the Christian faith is actually opening the scriptures and reading them, learning them, marking them, inwardly digesting them, so that when the Holy Spirit presents for you an opportunity to speak of Jesus and speak of your faith, then you will be well prepared to do that. Uh, I think that one of the, the, the downfalls of people who trying to share their faith is that they don't uh, they just naturally begin to add their own ideas into Scripture. Well, I think this is what God would probably say in this situation, uh, instead of actually going to the Scriptures and saying, what does God actually say about these things? You know, a loving God would never do this or that. Well, let's go to Scripture and see what God actually says and thinks and does. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to say it this way, but what you, what you said is so spot on. Effectively, if we want more mission in the Church, we need more catechesis in the Church. Church. And, and the more that someone's in Bible study, and I mean a good Bible study, there's such a thing as a bad Bible study, but the more that a person is in a good Bible study, the more competent and equipped they are to just say what they believe. It's it's going to happen. It's, you know, what you what you hear, what you watch is what's going to come out of your mouth again. That's why you don't let your little kids watch everything that's on TV, right? Because you think it's going to affect how they think. Well, okay, the Word of God has the same kind of impact. So as you pointed out, Pastor Gunia, you know, we, we are, I think we're we're discussing some good stuff too, but we we have kind of gotten away from the text, and there's quite a bit here left on page 53. So to return to that that next paragraph on page 53, Peeper's got some illustrations for us. He says, concerning the creation of the world and man and man, excuse me, the world of man, the Christian theologian teaches what God has told him in Genesis 1 and 2 and elsewhere in Scripture. Well, you, you would hope so, right? And so his doctrine is divine doctrine. When he is forced to take note of the stories told by human cosmologists, this is evolution he's talking about, he rejects whatever does not agree with the biblical cosmogony as worthless human speculation. Concerning the fall and the nature of sin, the Christian theologian teaches no more and no less than what God reports, pronounces, and teaches on the this matter in Holy Scripture. He must here, too, take note of a great mass of human specula- speculation on the origin of sin, its nature, and its consequences. But whatever is contrary to the teaching of Scripture, which cannot be broken, he rejects at once as man's antithesis to God's own thesis. Concerning the redemption of fallen mankind, that is, the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, the person and work of the Savior, the Christian theologian teaches only what God himself teaches. Concerning these great things. These wonderful things never entered into the heart of man. They constitute a mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but are now made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets by God himself. Therefore, the Christian theologian renounces all human speculations and insists that God be heard. Modern theology insists on the right of man to judge these matters, finds fault with the divine method of redemption, particularly with the substitutionary satisfaction of Christ, as being too juridical, and refuses to teach it. However, this attempt to silence God's voice and suppress the divine doctrine of redemption can only have one effect on the Christian theologian. He will the more loudly proclaim what the scriptures of the Old and New Testament teach, redemption through the various satisfaction of Christ. Now, he's going to go on with more examples here, but you know his point threefold there is, look, the world says one thing, but we go back to the scriptures. The world says, look, it looks like billions of years, although they're not even saying that anymore from what I can tell. Hey, billions of years in evolution, blah, blah, blah. And the Christian says, well, look, the Bible says this. And same for the fall. Where, where is evil from? How does evil get here? Is there evil at all? Yeah. Yes, uh, Adam fell by eating a fruit, by rejecting what God had given freely. How, how are we going to get out of this thing? Well, it's not through environmentalism, my friend. It is through the incarnation of Jesus' death and resurrection, as much as recycling might be good for the planet.
planet. I'm, I'm not going to necessarily argue that with you, right? His point, again, is no matter what we see, the answer is delivered in Scripture. I like the way that Deeper has it uh, laid out there. If we reject what God says about a six-day creation, then we, by, ne- by necessity, rather, uh, reject what God says about original sin and about our sinfulness. And if we reject creation and sin, then we reject the need for a Savior, too. So we see how all doctrine hangs together. There's not just, like, one little piece of doctrine separate from this other little piece of doctrine separate from this other little piece of doctrine over there, but they all go together into an organic whole, and affecting one teaching affects all the rest of the teachings as well. Yeah, that's why the you know our Church Fathers always referred to the Corpus Doctrinae, the body of doctrine. Um, it all interacts and all goes together and, uh, you know, you, you even take a minor piece of doctrine and you separate it from the body. Um, well, can, can you survive without your pinky finger? Yeah, but would you choose to? <laughs> um, I think the answer is no, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, it's a rhetorical question, obviously. But what, what came up in my mind, and maybe this is because ethics is one of my hobby horses, one part of my undergraduate degree from years ago, um, but... Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Ethics, uh, the very, very first uh, chapter, as I recall, he talks about uh, what happens in the fall and uh, in, in the understanding of, of ethics. Uh, you know, the first task of Christian ethics is to invalidate the idea that ethics is all about the knowledge of good and evil, because it's the knowledge of God and evil that, or, excuse me, good and evil that got us into trouble. Hmm. Um, he, he talks about how man at its origin knows only God. That's the only thing he knows. Um, and it's in the fall, um, in the fall where he, he now comes to know good and evil, he no longer knows God, but now he knows only himself. Hmm. Uh, and, and this is the, the root of why we are always tempted. Our old Adam is always tempted to focus on what's coming from himself and then call it something that's from God. Because Bonhoeffer literally says, and he, and he goes to uh, um, uh, Genesis 3.22 and says, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Um, and so Bonhoeffer points out that man has basically set himself up as God against the true God. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's really solid. If, you got a hobby, if you're going to have a hobby horse, Pastor Reese, I'd say that's a good one to hold on to. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Chances are there'll never be an emergency ever again. But just in case, let's talk about a plan. Okay. Who is going to grab the go bag? What's a go bag? It is a bag we do not have that is filled with things we really, really need in an emergency. Guess we won't have to worry about it then. Well, this is great. (laughs) I am so glad that we don't have a plan. I know. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov slash kids for tips and information. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. 
The Protestant Reformation of the 16th century was a political, cultural, and religious turning point that changed the course of history and Christian theology. Reformers like Martin Luther, John Calvin, and others sparked movements across Europe. They challenged the Catholic Church's claim to be the sole interpreter of the Bible. Luther initially taught that everyone had the right to interpret the Bible for themselves. In one sermon, he scolded theologians who did not read or teach the Bible. He didn't want them to mislead their readers and students. Martin Luther completed his most significant work in 1522, his translation of the New Testament from Greek to German. The Bible that was previously read and taught primarily in Latin was now in the hands of ordinary people in ordinary speech. The world was forever changed. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. What is mankind's fall, after all, but a fall into a knowledge of himself as the one who decides what is good and what is evil, as the one who gets to say what is truth and what is not, and that is literally to remove the image of God and try to place the image of man into the image of God and so destroy himself, thus bringing death into the world. I mean, here, there's the other question where you're talking about evolution and its connection to the fall and its connection to Jesus. I mean, if, if death didn't enter the world through Adam, but instead came uh, it, it came beforehand. It was part of how Adam was made into man. Then what on earth is Jesus saving you for? Why is he dying? Why is he paying the price of our sin? The wages of sin clearly is not death. So it's, it's not like this stuff doesn't all hang together. We're talking about Christian dogmatics and the need for them at this point. According to Francis Pieper's own Christian dogmatics, volume one, paragraph, excuse me, page 54, Talking with Pastor Jeff Reese and Pastor Matthew Gunia about this and trying to drive it home a little bit. We we stopped halfway through a rather long paragraph. So right at the top of page 54 is sort of the first full sentence on the articulus stantis et candentis ecclesiae. This is the the main doctrine of of the church, right? The doctrine of justification before God is his point here. The Christian theologian teaches... Oh, did you... I was just going to say the the article on which the church stands or falls. Thank you. That's what that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. God, I should have seen that there. Um, <laughs> articulus stantis et canditis. So right, stand or fall. Ecclesias, ecclesiae. That's church. And an article makes mm-hmm. sense there too. So and it's that you know the doctrine of justification is what Christianity is all about, and without it, we have nothing on this matter. The same point as he was driving home before, the Christian theologian teaches that man obtains the forgiveness of sins by faith, that is, through faith in the gospel, which forgives sins for the sake of Christ's atoning sacrifice, without the law and without the works of the law. That is, without demanding any moral quality in man or any ethical achievement as contributing factors in justification. Neither Rome's anathema, that is, you're cursed and going to hell because you teach this, nor the protests of degenerate Protestantism, he's talking about this modern theology he's talking about, which has, has rejected the atonement of Christ and put in its place just kind of a, a squishy ethicism, a squishy good workyism. Neither of these things, which reject the divine mode of justification as too external and juridical, nor the antagonism of his own natural heart, that is, that our own hearts are against this, in which the opinion of the law inheres naturally, can induce, none of these things can stop the Christian theologian, the one who really believes in Jesus, to change the scripture doctrine of justification, even though heaven and earth and whatever will not abide should sink into ruin. He's quoting Smallcold there, you know, Luther saying, that, you know, look, even if I'm given the choice, 
give up on justification a little bit, or heaven and earth melt into a pile of wax, well, you got you to gotta say, I'm going to hold on to justification instead. The Christian theologian, Pieper says, is such a realist. I love this. You know, realistic in the sense that I trust God more than myself. He knows from his own experience what the disquieted sinner needs, which is not a bunch of man-made opinions, but God's gospel. He realizes what a terrible thing it would be if the terrified sinner who wants to know about the way of salvation had to rely on human opinions. The sinner wants absolutely reliable information on the question of justification. Nothing but God's own doctrine will serve him. And this applies to all parts of the Christian doctrine, including the doctrines of eternal damnation and of eternal salvation. In short, the Christian theologian teaches only God's doctrine as set down in Holy Scripture, God's book, to quote Luther again. He does not deal with human thoughts and opinions. And and, and again, this, this is fighting words, right? I mean, he's accusing those who are out there saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm a leader of the church. Here, follow me, not Bible. Uh, um, and and not, not even just here, follow me. It's here, follow me, and I'm going to give you something that's not Bible, not what the scriptures say. He's accusing them of effectively not being Christian theologians, that they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. I mean, it's it's kind of intense if you think about it. So, gentlemen, thoughts? Well, he's, he is just speaking right from uh, small called articles, the the second part uh, to the title of the Treats of the Articles, which refer to the office and work of Jesus Christ, our redemption. Um, and it, the article of, on justification, everything depends on that, and we, we cannot part with it, even one iota. I love it. Squishy, good workyism. That That's my new favorite uh, <laughs> theology there. Uh, <laughs> and we all, with our voices, and say, no, no, that's a squishy, good workyism. That's not for me. I don't want anything like that. But the way that we behave says the opposite. Peeper is right that when we look at the gospel as it is laid out in, in holy scriptures, that it is all God's work for the benefit of us, we think, oh no, I'm not sure I like that too much. Aren't I a good person and so lovable by Jesus that he was compelled to come and save me? Or haven't I done this or that so that like, ah, Jesus likes me more than like, you know, some other people there? No, that's not what scripture teaches at all. And it's difficult for our sinful nature to hear. We look for some other things, whether it's Rome and, and uh, these acts will merit grace for you, or whether it's our own sinful heart that says, you know, I have to do this or do that. It's, it's, uh, Peeper is, hits the nail right on the head yet again. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite portion of this part is uh, immediately following the reference to uh, the small called articles. Uh, the Christian theologian is a realist. He yeah. knows from his own experience what the disquieted sinner needs. And this is something that pastors, it's really important that pastors convey to their people. When, when, when you come to me uh, in, you know, terrified because of your sin or in sorrow because of your sin, and you're, you're afraid to, to confess it to me, you need to realize that I've, I've been there. I've, I've seen it all and I've done half of it. And um, I know what it's like to be a disquieted sinner uh, from my own experience. And because of that, uh, to go to by, paraphrase Peeper in the next sentence, I realize what a terrible thing it would be if you, the terrified sinner who comes to me in repentance, uh, it, it, what a terrible thing it would be if I would not give you the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that I would give you my own understanding of things, my own opinion on things. 
This goes yeah. back. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Cunha. So I was going to say, yeah, as a pastor, Fisk, if you took calls on this show and someone called up saying that they are terrified because of their sin and they need assurance that they are forgiven, that they will have eternal life, what they don't want to hear is me and you and Pastor Reese all giving an opinion. Well, you know, maybe this. Well, you have some merit there, but maybe that, too. What they want is us to speak with one unified voice saying, this is what God's Word says. Mm-hmm. Believe it. You are saved. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what the terrified sinner wants, the assurance coming from someone from the Word of God itself and someone trained to open up the Word of God to a person as such. What, well, what, I think what, go, go, go ahead, Reese. I was just saying, I, I think it seems like what I see most frequently, or at least I hear about most frequently happening, is someone comes to, it might not even be their pastor, it could be a brother or sister Christian, and that's fine too, um, and bears their soul over something that is just vexing them, some, some sin in their past, or just something they're struggling with guilt over. And what they get in response to, uh, from the other person is, oh, that's not really that big of a deal. You know, oh, it's, it's okay. You know, you, you meant well, or you had good intentions, or it wasn't your fault, or, or what have you. And they're totally ignoring the fact that this person is racked with guilt. And, and, and so they're inserting human opinions, and they're trying, they're, they're well-intended. They, they want to, like, ease the, person, uh, ease the person's fears, but they're not using the very thing that God has given us to truly ease a person's fears, to remove them altogether, uh, to lift them out of the, the, the ditch of sin that they find themselves stuck in. Um, you know, they, they have the ability, uh, and the pastor, of course, is especially given to do that, but again, brothers and sisters in Christ can also do this. Um, give them the gospel. Give them the, the real deal, the, the forgiveness of sins that is theirs in Christ Jesus. Absolutely, Pastor. People who, in that situation you described, come with the question, what is real? Uh, That's behind some other questions, but your sin is real, and it doesn't do us any good to pretend otherwise. Death is real. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, those are real. Your baptism, Holy Communion, the words of, of proclamation of the Gospel to you, those things are real. So in that sense, we are realists. Uh, God tells us what's real. We do well to read it, understand it, accept it, and live it. Yeah, and I can, you know, I, I can remember one one situation, uh, just to be anecdotal for a second. Uh, a woman who had uh, come to me and asked the a question about abortion and uh, unpacking things. It, it turned out that she'd had an abortion uh, many years before. Uh, and everyone she had ever talked to about it, she was racked with guilt over it, and everyone she had talked to about it, and pastors and lay people alike, had just blown it off. Oh, that was in your past. It's no big deal. You're obviously repentant. You know, don't worry about it. Um, but no one had ever actually taken the time to just proclaim the forgiveness of Christ to her, to acknowledge that what she had done was terrible, that it was sinful, um, and, and then to bring to bear the the uh, mercy and grace of Jesus using his own words, his own promises to do that. With that, I mean, I, I think, uh, kind of jumping in with what you guys are saying, we can put lies on top of a hurting conscience, right? So somebody is in need of effectively forgiveness, effectively mm-hmm. a, a proof that death is the judgment of God against us and is awful and is the the next step toward a fiery hell. 
we can we can smooth that over with a bunch of syrup and say, oh no, don't worry about it. But I'm convinced that the human heart, deep down, doesn't really accept that there's a, there's an uncanny uneasiness to it where it's like okay we all get together in a crowd and we tell ourselves yeah we're okay right yeah we're all, yeah we're right yeah we're all right we're all right we're all right and then as soon as you're off on your own it just doesn't it just doesn't stay right it, it doesn't stick at least at least for the christian conscience the the way the law works on on you to create faith is it, it it awakens that like this is not right this is not enough this is not suffice the only thing that suffices then in that regard is this this madness right oh well jesus forgives you wait what what that's it yes that's it jesus forgives you his blood bought you why because he loves you that doesn't make sense you're right he's god you're an idiot right <laughs> like the rest of us rejoice in this reality but but trying to cover it with the lies it just, it always pokes its head back through again. It's like a weed that just keeps popping up. And what's even more scary is that sometimes, uh, sometimes the heart will accept the rationalization and become calloused to the law and, and thus and thus unable to even receive the gospel. Yeah, well, they, they certainly reject it, and yet they can't stop justifying themselves. The most mm-hmm. callous person is the most defensive person because because they know what a what a brittle castle they've built with their own works and how easy mm-hmm. it can all come tumbling down. Uh, we're just mm-hmm. about about two minutes left here, guys. Ichi, closing thoughts on the on the on the afternoon minute or so. Again, Peeper emphasizes again and again how necessary it is for the Christian to keep going back and back to the truth as it is revealed in Holy Scripture. Uh, during the course of a day, you hear many, many things from many, many different sources, including yourself, but only one thing is true, truly true, and that is the revealed Word of God. Yes, yeah, and I would just... Oh, go ahead. No, I was thrown to you. I was just going to add, add to that, that uh, just to reemphasize, we're not... We're not talking about this from uh, a lofty ivory tower. We're we're talking about this as as three sinners uh, in need of God's grace who struggle with this very thing daily ourselves. And thanks be to God, servants of the church like Peeper uh, articulate this for us so well, so that we can be reminded of all of the obstacles that we will tend to stumble over. Yeah, totally true. Although some of us struggle more than others because some of us are Cubs fans, and so they're therefore cursed to struggle for a very, very long time. <laughs> pastor Jeffrey Reese, he's senior pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church of Tacoma, Washington, and Pastor Matthew Gunia, pastor at Ascension Lutheran Church in Niles, Illinois. That's just outside of Chicago. If you're in the area, you can look him up. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time this Monday afternoon. Thank you. And we're just about a minute left between you and me. You know, Pastor Reese had mentioned how we, we pastors experience this too. We know this too. We are walking with you as confessors of this same reality that my flesh is wretched, that I have no hope other than the hope, which is Jesus Christ, dead, buried, raised, ascended, and returning. This is what Peeper had told us a while back there is the first aptitude of the pastor, that he actually believed these things so that he can encourage and comfort others. This is why St. Paul tells Timothy to watch your life and doctrine closely so that you might save yourself and your hearers by encouraging us all in, as we walk through this veil of tears and, and struggle against ourselves. This is this is the truth, right? This is what Christianity is about, and it is a good thing not only for a pastor to acknowledge it, but also for you to acknowledge that it's a truth for your pastor, that pastoring people together would find themselves not above, but beneath the scriptures, and being beneath the scriptures, thereby finding themselves beneath 
the cross because that is what the cross in fact the scriptures in fact preach is Christ and him crucified for you you've been listening to cross defense on worldwide KFUO I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk stumbling through a Monday afternoon but still bringing you the gospel we'll see you in the morning listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518, or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.